Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 49 of the Adventures in Advising podcast and our last episode of 2021. Today, we have an end-of-year message from Dr. Melinda Anderson from Nakata and interviews with Matt Ng from University of Hawaii at Manoa and Brandon Loudon from Pikes Peak Community College. Check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Advising Podcast and on YouTube at Adventures in Advising. Let's get to the episode. Welcome again to the Adventures in Advising podcast. I cannot believe we're at the end of 2021. For many of us, this has been a year that we've been still working from home, then going back to campus, helping students navigate school and dealing with constant changes. But like we do day in and day out, we do our jobs to the best of our ability and maneuver through any and all obstacles. Shout out time. First one goes out to Soria Lee on TikTok, who referenced Craig McGill's interview from episode 47 about advising professionalization and said, I wrote a research paper specifically about this for one of my graduate courses and use a lot of resources from Craig. Also to Derek Furukawa, who said on Instagram, I really appreciated the discussion on professionalization since we looked into these same issues and debates at our institution. And lastly, to Donnie from USA AATS on Twitter, who wrote, doing some listening tonight to Advising Podcast, and it's so good. Thanks so much. Love it. Knowing that you're finding benefit in these episodes is what keeps this podcast going. So Melinda Anderson is a wealth of knowledge and expertise, and with all the changes and sacrifices and the roller coaster ride we've been on as advising professionals, we have her back to give an end-of-year message. So it's that time, the last episode of 2021. And who better to give an end-of-the-year message than Dr. Melinda Anderson, the Executive Director of NACADA, the Global Community for Academic Advising. Melinda, you weren't on the previous episode. What's been new since then? Oh, well, you know, Matt, it is so good to be back with you. Um, you know, as we think about how the year the year has come to an end, I just really have such a good energy in terms of what we are thinking about um, from an association standpoint. But I think more importantly, we just all need rest. We all need to restore. <laughs> you know, I was looking and I saw all the commencement ceremonies and so many people celebrating their students. Um, and so I think that that's probably really what sits on my heart right now when I think about how the, the, the year is ending. You know, my freshman, I've mentioned her before, finished her first semester. And so she's at home resting. And I know that that is one of the things that many of us are thinking about right now, right? Just wrapping up. I know many of us are not quite finished yet when we think about our respective campuses, but I just know that many of us are looking forward to to rest and, and restoration and then spending time with family and friends and loved ones. Um, and I also think about those who, who may be sharing in grief, too, when they think about those they have lost this year. And so um, that sits on my heart this uh, at this time, too. So I, I think about them and um, wanting them to to feel remembered and to feel loved um, in this time, especially from their colleagues in the association, 
um, because that's what we're all here for, you know, not just the work, um, but also for the community. Yeah, absolutely. And just recently, I think you were at a conference and you know, you're talking about, you know, remembering and I think connected to that is the networking and connections that that we've made. And I know a couple episodes ago when we interviewed David Travis, we talked about how he just randomly came to our table at the conference, mm-hmm. ended up making that connection that I knew someone, a mutual friend, right. that he ended up hiring over there. And in a way, you kind of had something similar that you were at a conference and you ran into someone that knew someone that works at the executive office, Ben Hopper. Yes, actually, that was just it was wild. I was um, at Chima uh, in D.C. this past week and I ran into um, it's NACU. It's the um, association um, for uh, the campus association for cards. Um, and so I apologize. I know I completely messed that up, Dawn, but um, I just met her and she came up to me and she was like, oh, you know, I knew Ben when um, I worked for NACA, which is the Association for Campus Activities. And I was just like, yes, of course, I know Ben. He's great. You know, and so we just started talking about um, how her connection to Ben and how she was a part of the, the Midwest region and she would come and and Ben was one of the volunteers for the association. So Ben has always probably been uh, destined to, to work for Nakata when you think about um, his, uh, his, his heart for association work. Um, and so it's just interesting, right, that our communities are so small, and especially in higher education spaces. Um, so I, I was able to meet some really great colleagues. And, and for Ben to kind of be the, what connects us, you know, it just reminds me that um, we're not alone, at any time, you know, sometimes, you know, I went to that event not knowing anybody and and left with friends. So it was a really great experience. Um, so that's just so funny, right? How how life works. Yeah, it definitely does. And I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised anymore. I'm like, because uh, I went to go visit K-State uh, for part of my vacation last yeah, week. And... Yeah, I'm so glad you came. Your pictures were wonderful. <laughs> And it almost seemed like every 30 feet that, because Ben gave me a tour of the campus, every 30 feet, he ran into someone. And I'm like, of course, it's Ben. It's it's Nakata. Everyone right. knows everybody. <laughs> right. So what did you think, man? I mean, you came to campus, you saw the building. What did you think? Oh, it was amazing. Some of the buildings had kind of like the more goth look to it. And right. then, of course, then you saw the newer buildings. And you're like, okay, that's different than the, the brick work that's on this other building. But it has so much history to it and Mm -hmm. to see just, you know, the students on campus uh, to go into these buildings um, to see like the learning that's going on and how much K-State has, you have an insect zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) I know. I know the insect zoo. I mean, the land grant mission at K-State, um, you see it. It's it's resonated in, in every corner. And um, I don't know if you got a chance to go to Call Hall. Did you get a chance to go by Call Hall to get some ice cream? I didn't get ice cream. We might have gone there, though. Um, I, I feel like I went everywhere on that campus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you come back, yes. I definitely have to take you to Call Hall to the dairy bar to get ice cream. My kids, after we took them to the insect zoo, we went and got ice cream and that's all they remember. They're like, oh, that place that you got, you got ice cream. That was amazing. And I was like, really out of the entire campus, that's the only place you remember, but it's, it's, it's amazing. And I'm so glad that you had an opportunity to come visit um, our students. When you think about what we have available for them, 
and the heart of the student success mission here at K-State. Um, it just resonates all the way through. And I'm just so glad that you were able to come visit the mothership. I remember as a member, when I came to Unger Hall for the first time, I was just like, oh, this is where Nakata lives. It was, it was amazing. So I'm glad that you were able to come by. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sad that I wasn't able to see you or Lee Cunningham there, but definitely I'll have to come back and see you both in person in the executive office. But it was great going to the EO, seeing what it actually looks like, getting to see some of the people that I've only seen on my computer screen in Zoom right. meetings, to actually meet them in person. And really a shout out to to Joan Krush and Michelle Holiday yeah. um, and Ben Hopper um, and Stephanie. Uh, Totally, like everyone there was super nice, but they kind of went the extra mile, took me out to lunch and, and gave me tours. So it, it was really great to, to be able to hang out with them. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that they were able to do that. The EO staff, I mean, they rock. They We do love our members. And I think that people sometimes are like, okay, yeah, we see you at annual conference. But roll up on us in Manhattan. We will roll out the purple carpet for you Um and and give you the special Nakata treatment. And so I'm so glad that you were able to, to get that. And and I saw that you also went by the Wizard of Oz Museum and Wamudo. Yes. So yeah. So I mean, I always tell people, I'm like, people don't they think they know Kansas, but I always tell people, like, no, you've got to come check out Kansas. Oh yeah. I had my assumptions of what I thought Kansas was and totally was not true. Like it was so, <laughs> so much more than what I thought. Uh what I did love was how everything's kind of like a straight shot. You know, it's yeah. not like where I live in Southern California, where these curvy roads and no, you want to go to w- Omega, just go down this one street, go for like <laughs> 20 minutes and then bam, you hit it. Right. Um, right. It did throw me off with the speed limits, how it'll be like 65 miles an hour. And then two minutes later, it's down to 45. Where did that sign come from? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, the other thing about, you know, this side of Kansas is the Flint Hills. So we do have the the beautiful trees and and the rolling hills. And, and so you're right. I mean, the roads here, it's a straight shot all the way to Kansas City. You know, so sometimes people are like, well, how far away is that from you? And I'm like, it's an hour 45, but it's a straight shot, no traffic. Um, and so it's just, it's just a, it's a really straight trip, you know, and it's it's just wonderful this this neck of the woods when I think about what Manhattan offers, um, and I'm not. <laughs> they should probably hire me for the tourism board. <laughs> but really, when I first moved here, it was kind of like okay, everybody was like Kansas, Kansas, and I'm just like really people don't you know they think what Kansas is, and then you move here and you live here and you become a part of the community, and it's completely different than than what people uh, would think. And so I'm just so glad that you had an opportunity to experience. Um, not only where we live in Unger, but also the K-State campus. Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad that you had an opportunity to see that. Oh, yeah. It's great hospitality. Um, I will definitely come back. To me, it, it is a vacation spot to go see friends uh, in, in the EO. And I will say that the best part on the K-State campus, I thought, was getting to go into the library and seeing the the area that looks like it's from Harry Potter. Yes. Yes, that was my that, absolute oh favorite. My gosh. Absolutely. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you have to check out uh, the library and in that spot. I, I loved it so much. And Ben has an amazing story about the, the programming that they would do in that space. And I took pictures and shared them with my daughter, who's a huge Harry Potter fan. And she was like, oh, my gosh. So um, when, of course, when they came to campus, we had to take them into that space. It's it's amazing. It really is. Um, great spaces for students here. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and a, a lot of space. I mean, huge, huge campus. So <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of things that I didn't get to see on that tour that I'll get to see next time. But, but with the, the time remaining, I mean, it's the end of the year. So I want to leave this this opportunity to you to use this time as an end of year message to not just Nakata members, but advising professionals around the world. Like, what you know, what do you want to tell them? No, that's a, you know, thank you, Matt, for that opportunity. Um, when I think about, you know, how we end the year and how we want to enter it, you know, I do really want to just share um, part of my heart in the sense that community is what has always held us together. You know, when we think about who we are as advising professionals um, and how we enter these spaces in terms of how we help our students, um, what's really important for me is as we move forward as an association is that we remember the community and those principles and those values and, and the pillars that Nakata stands upon. It's what's really kept us together. And as we enter into the new year, um, more of what we are will continue. Um, but I also recognize that, you know, things have changed at a very rapid and accelerated pace. And my friends and colleagues, you know, everybody is in different transitions. And I just want everybody who is hearing our voices today to know that Nakata is committed and dedicated to supporting you in every aspect of your growth and development here in the association. And our goal is to continue to speak to our mission and, and to really live to our vision to be the premier academic advising association dedicated to student success. And as we think about what the new year will bring for us, it's going to be hope. It will be promises filled with opportunities to be creative and to grow and, and to be different in that new space. I think that sometimes people want the crystal ball. You know, they want to know, I'm going to be confident and I'm going to know exactly what's going to happen. But sometimes life doesn't show up that way. And what really holds me together, I think, is knowing, being confident, I guess is probably the best way to say it, in, in who you are and knowing who you're going to be on the other side of whatever it is um, that you come face to face with, whether that is transitions or, or, or any kind of tragedy or grief or, or challenges or struggles that you may face. The work that we do as professionals makes us strong. It makes us confident. What we do for our students is what we can do for ourselves. And so I just want um, the uh, association and all of our colleagues and the field to know that we'll continue to grow and become strong because our students need us. And that's what we'll continue to do. Yeah, what we can do for our students, we can do for ourselves. I'm, I'm going to remember that always, I, I think, now. But I think that's a wonderfully, wonderful message that they're giving for this end of the year. And um, it'll be great to have you on for the next episode, which is episode 50. Yeah, that we'll have in the new year to see what kind of message you have uh, in a couple weeks. So thank you, Melinda, for being on. No, thank you, Matt. And I can just say from the bottom of my heart, I just love what you're doing with this podcast and bringing these messages to the field to the professionals, for those who don't even know that they're going to be professionals in the field yet. And um, just the the joy and the hope that you bring to people 
And I see the excitement when a new episode comes out. So I just want to thank you on behalf of your your listeners and those who don't know that they're going to be listeners yet. So thank you. You're doing oh, a great I, job and just continue this great effort. So thank oh, you. I appreciate it. So hearts and happy hearts. holidays, Melinda. Thanks, Melinda. I look forward to having you on again. Up next is our interview with Matt Ng from University of Hawaii at Manoa. All right, let's welcome to the podcast Matt Ng. Matt is a tenured assistant specialist academic advisor at the Manoa Advising Center on the University of Hawaii at Manoa campus in Honolulu, Hawaii. He has previously presented on topics such as career advising, exploratory students, curriculum development, and using self-reflection in advising. Matt has backgrounds in both academic advising and career development, and has designed three scaffolded academic courses for major and career exploration. Matt currently serves on Nakata's Global Initiatives Committee. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Matt. Yeah, I'm glad that we're able to work this out. I know uh, in a way this has kind of been in the works for way over a year. And yeah. so finally <laughs> our schedules aligned. We got to got to yeah. make it happen. And it was uh, great connecting with you again in person at the uh, Cincinnati conference, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about one of the presentations you did there. But how about we start with, you know, how you got to where you're at? What was your journey like getting into higher ed and academic advising? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. Well, as pretty much everyone, you know, you don't ever go into higher ed thinking you're like going into a college experience thinking that you're going to be there forever. Uh, my undergraduate degree is actually in creative writing uh, and a minor in communication studies. I up really focusing more on rhetoric. Because uh, at the time I was in undergrad, I was dead set on being a Booker magazine publisher, uh, but didn't talk to career services until my graduating semester, which now being on the other side of it, I can't believe I did that. But it was just, it, it is what it was. But kind of going back a little bit too, I went to a small private institution. Uh, so it was all uh, faculty advising. That was the model. Um, so we didn't have professional advisors and, you know, I was given the course catalog, you know, when I first uh, stepped foot on campus and I read it and it made sense. So I was the person that all my friends turned to around registration just to kind of build stuff out and, and navigate and understand requirements. And I didn't know that was a thing. So anytime I did meet with my advisor, who I, she was the specialist in creative writing for the institution. We never talked about coursework or anything. She said, oh, yep, you've got your plan. You're good. And we just talked about everything else. And so I didn't really know what advising was at the time until I met with career services and you know, was talking about what I was doing and everything. And uh, he mentioned, you know, that's a career path, right? I was like, okay, yeah, I guess. Um, 
and at the time it was a little too late to apply to graduate programs. So I ended up uh, moving back to my hometown in Colorado and got a job in financial planning because that linear path makes sense to everybody, creative writing to uh, financial planning. And, and part of that too is I can work with clients, I can talk with people uh, and, and all of that. So I, I worked in the financial planning for a couple of years uh, through the, the recession of 08 and all of that fun times. Um, but I knew I wasn't gonna stay there long-term and I was looking at different opportunities, knew I was at that point gonna go to graduate school. So I was just applying or looking at opportunities and I was debating, do I wanna continue with creative writing, go into just a PhD in English or still think about this you know, student affairs higher ed route and ultimately chose the student affairs route because I didn't have to make a decision. Because if I was working at an institution, I could continue to take classes towards something else. Uh, and that's kind of the way I approach a lot of things. I want to keep as many doors open as long as possible. Uh, and that kind of is how I approach working with students too. And now that I'm like revisiting it, like I was always very intentional about some of these little things, uh, such as I was only looking at programs that required an assistantship because I didn't have that more traditional route for a lot of student affairs uh, professionals of you know being an RA or being in student activities. I worked for the English department as like a student secretary. That was my on-campus job experience. So I knew I needed to kind of expand out on that a little bit more. So I wanted that mandatory assistantship. Uh, and so ultimately, yeah, got into the program um, at Iowa State, did that for a couple of years, uh, and then had two assistantships my final year, one in the Career Center and the other in the advising office for the College of Business. Uh, so they liked that I had that professional business experience, and it was nice to get that balance of the two. From there, while at that office, that's when I got plugged into Nakata. Um, I was I, I applied for the graduate student scholarship to go to the Region Six conference in 2011. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2011. Yeah, uh, up in Winnipeg, um, and so. I credit my entire experience at Nakata to Amy Sanis because she was chair of Region 6 at the time. Uh, and she got me connected as soon as I got to the conference. Um, I was really lucky that the annual conference in 2011 was in Denver. So I uh, was able to go stay with my parents and just drive down for the conference and, and really get connected there. And I have not missed a Nakata conference since Denver. So that is, that is one thing that I do hold very close. Um, but yeah, and actually at the Denver conference is where I met Megumi. Um, we both, we sat next to each other at a peer advisor session that ended up being more like a hands-on workshop and we just got to talking. I was keeping my doors wide open for where I was going to apply after finishing my graduate degree. Um, I had certain criteria that I needed to have met and uh, one of them was like growth and structure in a position. I didn't want to like do a, a move every two years. Um, and so just in talking to Megumi, um, she was explaining a little bit about the model that that you, most of the offices at UH, uh, University of Hawaii has. Um, and she couldn't say it at the time, but she there was an opening that was going to come up soon. Uh, so yeah, I was able to apply and apply to a couple of different places, but ultimately uh, ended up at UH Manoa because I really wanted to work just with the exploratory, the undecided students. Uh, working in the College of Business was great. I, I definitely learned a lot there, but 
at times can feel a little repetitive when you're talking about the same programs with the, with students just day in and day out. And I really needed more of that variety. It's it's funny because um, it's just how random it is when you go to the conferences and you just happen to just sit next to someone and the conversation sparks and then that literally changes the trajectory of what mm -hmm. you're doing. Um, but I'm even thinking back to when you were um, in college and then, you know, you had your friends that were going to you, you know, for answers mm -hmm. for a lot of like these advising type questions that we get. And a lot of times we say, don't talk to your friends, make sure you talk to someone <laughs> at the institution. But you were the one that's the exception. You were the one keeping them all the right answers. That's because I always refer to the catalog. Like my catalog, I need to find it. I think it, I don't remember where, what box it's in, but it is falling apart. Like the binding is gone on it because I was flipping through all of it. And yeah, I, it didn't occur to me at the time that that was weird. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, like I said, yeah, we don't tell it. We tell our students, yeah, don't listen to your friends. Um, right. And I think even then I was still like couching a little bit and like, okay, but still confirm with your advisor, confirm with wh whomever at the institution, just to confirm mm -hmm. that this is how I'm reading it. But <laughs> Well, the extra part of you saying, yeah, yeah, double check with your advisor, you know, or someone in your faculty or somebody, you know, that's usually the part that gets left out <laughs> a lot of times. But you're at, uh, uh, work in the Manoa Advising Center. So uh, what student mm -hmm. populations do you serve? And then I guess from there, you know, you have this role as assistant specialist academic advisor. So what exactly does that mean within your advising center? Yeah, so the Manoa Advising Center, our population of students is, we assist exploratory students. So undecided, undeclared, open option, whatever your institution calls it. Um, yeah, for us, we were able to get it changed to exploratory uh, back in 2016, which was very exciting. Uh, before that, the label was general arts and sciences, which just didn't fit correctly anymore. Um, but our student population, um, it's roughly about 10% of the undergraduate population at, at UH Manoa. And we currently don't have a cap on how long students are allowed to be in the exploratory program. Uh, we don't graduate anyone, so they can't get a degree in exploratory, but we our goal is to get them into the major that best fits their skills, values, interests, goals, abilities. And really, we're trying to get them to declare earlier. Um, so we do have a small population of senior class standing junior. Um, and then a big chunk of our population, actually about half of our students would fall into like a pre-business category, but we don't have that pre-business designation. Uh, the Manoa Advising Center has existed on the Manoa campus since uh, 2008 or fall 2008 and had some of those pre-majors, but uh, we were able to move those pre-majors back to their programs where they could get, you know, more, uh, more in-depth advising in that specific program. So like pre-psychology students shouldn't be with us, they should be with the psychology department. Uh, so our numbers, you know, have stabilized down to about um, 15 to 1600 students um, Again, it's always fluctuating. Um, and we don't belong to a specific college or school within the university. And that is very intentionally done so that we don't have an implicit bias or stake in any one unit. Um, so we do have to have a an understanding of all the majors on campus. Um, and, and how we kind of talk about that too with our students is, is we've got that shallow knowledge across the board and we need to refer them to the major advisors or their college or school for that really in-depth, deep understanding of the program. Our office is staffed with 
specialist academic advisors. And that term is a little confusing to anyone outside of the University of Hawaii system. Not every advisor on our campus, but a, lar a, a chunk of them do fall under a faculty specialist designation. So I was hired into a tenure track faculty role, but my primary job is academic advising. Uh, so I always want to put out that I'm an assistant specialist, just identifies me as that faculty role on campus, because that does allow me to serve on different faculty committees. Um, and, you know, we do fall under our faculty union. We are still, fa we're faculty, even though we're not required to teach or um, have that as our primary project. Yeah, if you are looking at an institution with their faculty model, uh, junior, assistant, associate, and full, uh, we have those same designations on our campus. Uh, we also have professional advisors under our administrative, professional, and technical designation. Um, so a lot of times we'll refer to them as APTs versus the, the faculty advisors. So that is definitely an interesting model that the University of Hawaii holds. Um, I know at other institutions, they may have, you know, faculty advisors, but whether that's their full-time or their main project is like a primary role advisor versus as an additional duty under their research or instruction. We're not the only system nationally that has that. Uh, I, and I know that other, it, it's really the tenure track process that makes ours a little bit more unique. So I started at the Mono Advising Center in 2012 and uh, we have a five, I call it a five-year probationary period as you're going through uh, the process to apply for tenure. Um, so you have two contract renewals during that time. And then the big piece is the full tenure application process, which usually the deadline, at least for our institution, lands right before Nakata every year. So trying to scramble and get ready um, while you're putting this document together it's always a stressful time. Uh, so I submitted my documentation in 2016, uh, in October 2016, but it has multiple layers that uh, of the review. And this is what I really like about this tenure process is it really is focusing on kind of professionalizing academic advising in general. Uh, our duties are broken down into three broad categories. So admin, um, professional activities and functions, professional development and scholarly contributions. And then the final one is service. Each unit at UH Manoa that has faculty specialists will have their own document for the review criteria. And like the percentage of your time for each of those categories is gonna be split a little bit differently. For my office, we have 75% of our time on professional activities and functions. And those are gonna include your one-on-one -on -one student appointments and the other big Part of that also is program development. Um, so what are you doing to help your office, you know, work on these, some of these other, other areas? Uh, so for me, I really enjoy teaching. Prior to me coming to the campus, the advisors in the office didn't teach. I first approached Megumi, I was like, I, I want to design a class. I want to teach something to help our students. I was like, oh, now might not be the best time. So let's just put it together as a series of workshops. Uh, so I, I put that together, um, but before I went to actually propose it, it's like, mm, we think the time is right. Now is when we're going to try and make it a formal class and uh, present that and jump through all the paperwork of 
creating the course number, submitting all the materials, uh, and go through that whole process. Uh, so first taught the course, uh, which is uh, Academic Exploration Through Advising was the title that I gave it. Uh, it has gone through three different course numbers at the moment. Uh, so started off as an exploratory, or not explore, experimental. That's the word. It started as an experimental course before I, it got a permanent course number. So I've been teaching it since spring 2014. Yeah, designed to really emphasize that self-reflective process with our students. Um, and uh, from there, we've branched out to a couple other courses uh, within the unit with our most, well, the most recent one that's already on the books, we offered this past summer as like a summer bridge type course or for this first time freshman, uh, more like a traditional, you know, orientation to the institution and, and majors, but with an exploratory lens. Uh, we had one, I think since fall 2016 or so, it was uh, a transition course from the first year to the second year. So it was called the Freshmore Experience was the title that some of the other advisors gave it. Uh, we've since reworked it and the title's gonna change a little bit, but that idea yeah, of connecting, hey, looking at the sophomore slump and everything there. Um, the newest course that I am putting together that should be on the books for next fall, because everything takes a year to get pushed through, uh, is a, a more special topics course in major and career exploration. So that's definitely geared towards students who have been through the process quite a while and are needing that additional support. So we have a scaffolded four course system now uh, that I'm kind of overseeing. So exploratory curricula is kind of my project. If we're jumping back to the faculty model, I could kind of go off on the courses for quite for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so 75% of our time, direct one-on-one -on -one client interaction or student appointments, program development that supports the office and supports working with our exploratory students. The next big chunk of our time, so professional development and scholarly contributions. For us, that's 20% of our time. And that's where presenting at Nakata is considered uh, scholarship for us. Um, that's, that's the way our document is written, you know, writing book reviews, um, and also publishing is encouraged. That's definitely a category that other faculty understand when they look through the review and the application process. Um, but specifically our document doesn't require publishing, even though a lot of us are working towards that. Publications and then also professional development. So that's where attending Nakata um, or attending these workshops is part of our job. We need to have the professional development. We need to stay on top of current models of advising, current theories, uh, and how we can better serve our students. I know we've heard quite a bit whenever we're at Nakata, it's like, University of Hawaii has a pretty large representation all the time, and why is that? Um, and that is because a lot of us are faculty specialists and we need to be involved. And then the final category, that's service, which is 5% of our time. That's where serving on boards or committees, um, both at the national level, so that's where Nakata definitely comes into play there, the university level. So I'm on our general education committee this year. Um, I've served on different boards in the past, or I'm on a faculty council for our interdisciplinary studies program, um, and then other projects within the unit um, as well, or across our University of Hawaii system. The breakdown of those different things means that we're not only 
working one-on-one -on -one with students um, has that little bit of a split focus at times where it's like, hey, it's never an, you can't like map out your week. It's like, all right, so we've got, you know, the 40 hour work week, 75% of that is this many hours. So this is, you know, how we're going to build it up. It would be great if we ever got to a world where we could be that clear with things, but we know there are ebbs and flows with advising and students uh, need our help. And and I think that's the mentality that our office has too, is that the students are, are really our priority. Um, but, you know, if we're not there, we can't help them. So going through that tenure process uh, is interesting. I'm going to go into that whole process now, <laughs> just because <laughs> it, it, is, it is a real formal structure. It, it is the exact same process uh, and, and review that our instructional and research faculty go through. Um, there is the university deadline that it's usually the first Friday in October that you have to submit all your material to the uh, dean or department chair, who there will then be a five-person uh, department faculty committee who does the initial review of the application materials. Um, and so I have served on those ever since I got tenure. Um, then uh, there's a formal vote on to whether um, tenure is recommended and if they're also applying for promotion, uh, that whole process. And then it goes to department chair who does their review and write up, then to the dean who does their review and write up. And then it goes um, on to the tenure and promotion review committee, which is across the entire campus. So it's typically seven or eight faculty members, and there's guaranteed to be at least one specialist on there if there's a specialist uh, applying. So that's really important for our document to be able to showcase what we do to people who don't know what we do. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, usually why the uh, advising specialists documents are usually way longer than in research and instructional documents uh, because we've we've gone to uh, the university holds a lot of here's how to prepare your documents for tenure and promotion and the recommendations like your dossier or your, your narrative should really be nine pages max i was like i was looking at mine i think mine was 25 pages oh, just to explain what we're doing and, <laughs> right. and it's not a hard and fast rule of mine but it's you know, for research instructional faculty, yeah. it's a lot more like these are the projects we were working on, or this is these are the classes that we taught, and here's the evaluations as appendices. We can't uh -huh. do that as easily, and especially because advising across the campus is very different. Mm -hmm. We have, I keep saying this number, so I hope it's 100% accurate, but roughly 24 advising offices on campus. Mm -hmm. And not every office is staffed with 100% faculty specialists. So the models are going to be very different. So even if we're reviewing, so if I was reviewing an application from the College of Natural Sciences, their department criteria is going to be different. Their expectations are going to be different. So we do have to be careful and explain, you know, what makes us unique and how that goes through. Our campus was uh, part of the pilot group for the excellence in academic advising. Uh, and part of the recommendations that we saw there is we have our faculty specialists who have a very structured, systematic, understandable career ladder but our administrative professional, technical, or APT professional advisors don't. Um, that's not as clear. So comparing the groups, we wanted to make that a little bit easier. So that was a recommendation that was put forth from our EAA committee. Um, but I bring that up because 
the role of our professional advisors, professional staff advisors, the APTs, is they're almost completely focused on meeting with students and that's their primary role. So they're probably more like 95% one-on-one appointments with students. Um, so they're gonna have a lot more appointments, but not be contributing in the same way. It's something that I know a lot of offices encourage, but not part of their contracted role. So mm -hmm. very, uh, there's differences on the campus. And I think it should never be seen as like a better than, or this is, you know, anyone who's an APT should be considered like moving on to a faculty role because they're different. Um, and that's kind of by design. Long-winded, uh, really just looking at like this faculty model yeah. and, you know, there's its place um, for different offices and different models, even within the same campus. Um, I mean, the University of Hawaii is a 10 campus system too. So I know even looking at the other four-year institutions, their models are gonna be different um, and their criteria is gonna be different. No, I find that absolutely fascinating. And yeah, just thinking about the whole process, I mean, but what's, I think, I'm sure there's pros and cons to all of it, but like with, it seems like with this tenure process, I mean, it is a whole process and you have, mm -hmm. you kind of have to prove yourself and with a lot of this documentation as well. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, yeah, I don't think one is better than the other, where it's like faculty advisor, tenure, professional advisor, staff, whatever. Um, but I think one thing that kept popping into my mind is uh, individuals I've talked to where, like in this case, professional development is part of it. You know, it's it's yeah. part of that role. But there are a lot of uh, individuals at other institutions where that's not officially part of their role. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, too, sometimes it's even frowned upon where it's like, I want to take a little bit of time to read articles or attend a conference. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it just seems to be uh, different um, all around. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Definitely. And I think the other important piece with that too is the scholarly contributions. So not only are we taking in from the, from the professional development side, but we're also putting back. And I think that's something just as an association, as a career field or just as a profession, we need to keep doing that. Um, I know, I mean, Nakata has great avenues for getting that publication or getting our ideas out there. Uh, and, and that's something that I think is really important just for any advisor, because it's not encouraged at most other institutions mm -hmm. in the same way. I mean, we get lucky with some and who are very good and really supported in that. Um, but I think that's something that all advisors can contribute to the field and something that, you know, we should make that less intimidating, um, but also encouraging the, yeah, the research and the scholarship of advising needs to be promoted more. Now, kind of going back to uh, your teaching, uh, just I was on rate my professors, you know, <laughs> take what you will with, with that site. But I was looking and 
I was very impressed. I mean, I'm just going to read a couple of them. So uh, one person wrote, great professor. If he taught another class, I would take it. He's very easygoing. The class is really good if you are unsure of your major. And then someone else wrote, a great class, not only for exploring different majors, but life skills in general. And Matt isn't afraid to adjust the topics covered in class based on what the students want to learn about. So what I will also say with the professor, I'm pretty sure they're still on there because I there are fake reviews of me on that site. It was a former roommate of mine who still had his undergraduate um, login information for the institution. So he's like, let me see if I can write something. So he's done that twice now. Uh, and I leave it on there because it's a great example when sharing with students about the dangers of Rate My Professor. Mm -hmm. But according to Rate My Professor, I have taught two courses in hypnosis. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that's hilarious. And it's a great example that I, mm -hmm. I tell students, like, you can never fully trust, take everything with a grain of salt. There's no oversight. Yep. Um, stuff we all know, uh, but it's great for them to actually see. And mm -hmm. it's a really fun part of the conversation with students in class, yep. uh, especially as we're talking about like registration and, and planning for future semesters. I asked them, like, how many of you looked at my rate, my professor? So I know I'm on there and I have looked at it. Yep. And then it's just a great opportunity to share. It's, it's fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really like working with the students uh, in the, a, a smaller discussion format because I hate lecturing mm -hmm. and I hate talking all the time even though my long-winded answers wouldn't showcase that. Um, really, the way I've designed the classes is that it is a discussion-based class. And um, for a lot of these students, this is the smallest class they've ever had. It's capped at 20 students. Um, the format is very different because I don't always use PowerPoint presentations or just stand up and lecture. Half the time I'm not even standing, I'm sitting at the front. Um, but I, I approach the class or working with the students like, here's the general themes and topics we're going to talk about. Um, and these are the intentions I have behind it. I'm not always explicitly saying that to them, but I'm not all focused on, okay, I need to hit these specific activities or things in the class. Um, and starting out with a discussion or just, okay, you know, here's what we're reading today. We have an open and go around question that everyone has to start off talking. They have to say something at least once in every class. And they're given that question ahead of time so that they can prepare uh, not everyone likes to think on their feet and answer questions that way. So trying to hit different modalities there. And as the class, like as it goes through, they're you know a lot more comfortable having this discussion. It's a lot more difficult doing everything on Zoom. Uh, I've definitely been struggling with that this semester. Uh, they're finally getting comfortable chatting now that it's the end of the semester. But yeah, back when we had everything in person, yeah, having these discussions, bringing up these conversation topics, I've I had students who we're asking is like, well, how do, what's a credit score and how do we navigate that? It's like, all right, well here, let's, let's focus on that. Let's, you know, we can't, we have to meet students where they are and we have to kind of address these concerns that they have. And even if I'm not the expert in it, we can look up those resources together and, and navigate through some of those. And a lot of times students have, I think some of them have figured it out and have tried to like make it a challenge to see how much of a tangent they can go off of and how I can still bring it back to the discussion. Because really these are just long form, long term advising sessions that they have to do the homework for because they get a grade. And that's really why I thought having it as a course format as opposed to a workshop series was important because for some of our students, they need that 
assignment, the deadlines, the due dates, the grades, uh, to force them to do the activities that we all know they'll benefit from. And, and with a lot of that too, there's a, some there's a lot of uh, background self-reflection that they're doing. Um, within our institution, we have graduation requirements of you know so many writing intensive courses. Um, the specific designation requires at least 16 pages of writing throughout the semester. There's all these other criteria that we have to apply for and demonstrate for this designation. And uh, this academic exploration through advising course has always carried that designation, that writing intensive. So they're doing a lot of self-reflective papers throughout the course and it, having them write things out has that benefit of you know, engaging them more, but because they're more from the self-reflective, they're more open to trying. It's not, you know, this formal research paper, um, even though I grade the grammatical syntax part that way, because uh, they still need to get those, they work on that side of it. But that's where, yeah, I have this flexible approach, but we still have these main outcomes, these things that they are gonna get by the end of it. If we wanna start diving into like curriculum development and course designing things, um, I mean, I use the backwards design model where everything's focused on, okay, what are the outcomes for the course? And then how does that, how can they demonstrate that before we get down to the individual assignments and individual um, like talking points or lesson plan? It also has helped that I've been teaching this class for seven years now that, you know, the topics and things that I know, I can just ramble on about a lot of different pieces. The other benefit that I've noticed from students, and, and a lot of this is still anecdotal, um, I haven't done like a formal uh, review of it, that's the dissertation that I'm working on. Um, <laughs> what, what the students find is that having this connection with someone on campus is what's most helpful. Mm -hmm. and you know, having someone they can identify to point them in different directions. Cause they know I'm an advisor. I talk about it all the time. I talk about myself, use stories, um, you know, from my personal experience that helps the students kind of get the sense of who faculty are in general, who people on campus are, makes them more human. Um, and then lets them feel more comfortable asking questions uh, typically. And, and that, again, that's the approach that we, we should be having. Like, I'm not going to be hard and fast. So this is everything we have to get through that day. We'll get to it if it's important. Um, and, and we'll find ways that we might have to brush something later, but let, let's all piece it together. Uh, that's also tricky when, like, when I'm giving formal presentations, because I, at this point, I'm very comfortable in front of people, like mm -hmm. giving presentations and, and that's where, you know, sometimes I can be a little too conversational. Uh, but like having that engagement is is what helps everybody. Um, I feel I that's been the hardest part teaching online is I feel like I have to be just presenting information and talking and and losing some of that dialogue. Um, so hopefully these evaluations kind of stay around the same level, but we'll see. Yeah. What's funny much about Rate My Professors, yeah, I did see the hypnosis one. I was like, okay, maybe he did teach this class. Or, but um, yeah, I tell the same, same thing to students in terms of like take it, take it with a grain of salt. But I say the one thing you probably want to look for when you're looking at these comments is, you know, they're always looking like, is it an easy instructor or not? And I'm like, look at what the comments are consistent, if anything. Like that might give you the mm -hmm. best idea of like, is this a a professor you think you'll connect with or the class you'll connect with and see, see what's consistent about it that seems factual but not like the opinion of like i hated this instructor or i really love this instructor you know go with what's facts that seems like facts and 
more than like that's probably going to be be true. But you were talking about stories, and I think it's a great segue into conference presentations. And mm -hmm. one you most recently did at the Cincinnati conference in October was a traveling the hero's journey. And I'm sure many listeners know about the hero's journey or have a slight idea what it is. But can you talk about what the hero what the hero's journey is, and maybe also why that was an important topic for you to present in relation to academic advising? Yes, let's let's dive into that. Um, so the fun thing with the hero's journey, so this actually was able to tie back in a lot with my undergrad uh, with creative writing. Um, hero's journey is this framework uh, with how stories have been told pretty much throughout time. Um, Joseph Campbell was looking at uh, mythologies from across the world and identifying these major components of you know what we're looking at um, with the hero leaving the ordinary world, leaving where they're comfortable. Um, having an inciting incident, going through trials and coming out the other end being changed. I love stories. I, movies, film, everything. Uh, you can see these different patterns throughout. Uh, most famously, if we look at Star Wars A New Hope, George Lucas was very much a fan of Campbell and structured the entire movie around that, the hero's journey. Um, you also hear it called the monomyth um, idea because so many of us know stories we engage with media we know pop culture um, at different levels and because it seems to be a more universal understanding of stories or you hear the three-act structure and everything what i was looking at with that framework is a way that we can help our students understand their journey at an institution part of it also uh with what i was presenting too is this idea that the students, if they're seeing themselves as the hero, they can feel more in control of their actions and kind of see what they're doing um, and, and know where to go to for support and kind of see themselves in that role. And I think it was also really important to, to look at this idea for first-gen students who don't have the language, who don't have that understanding, um, where really for them stepping into an institution is a complete whole other world. They are not in what well, Joseph Kemp calls the ordinary world, they're not at home anymore, even if physically they're still staying at home. Um, this is new uncharted territory. And some of the things that our hero picks up along the way in the hero's journey is, you know, they, they have a mentor, but that mentor is not always there. Um, they're going to go away. Uh, again, if we go back to A New Hope, we know that Obi-Wan Kenobi goes away. He's not there throughout the entire story. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone. Um, <laughs> but but really we're seeing some of these different pieces that initially our hero needs to rely on the mentor a lot. And the mentor is gonna be training and guiding them, but we're again, not gonna be there and they need to go through their trials on their own. But it also provides a lens for students can think about their previous experiences as trials, what they've overcome, how they've accomplished it. And you know, have they gotten those, uh, those boons, those tools, those resources that they can carry forward going on. Um, they can use this to kind of break down their journey in an individual course or a semester or just life in general, because uh, the hero's journey cycle can be a continuous process. Uh, so again, what I was doing or why I was bringing this concept forth is another way just for advisor training to think about, okay, how are we relating to our students? How are we helping them understand? Um, with Nakata's core competencies, the pillars and all that, the relational component is one that I think, or maybe this is just my own personal experience, I haven't focused on as much. Um, it's something that 
it is more skill development, the things that you can work on. Uh, and we need all these different aspects of the core competencies, um, but being able to relate to students and help them understand, I think that's the important part. Uh, with advising in general, yeah, we can share information, but if they're not understanding or retaining it, it's not useful. This hero's journey idea, as we're using stories, uh, Peter Hagen's uh, narrative theory of advising definitely plays a role too. Um, that was the other piece that I talked about in the presentation, which also intimidating that Peter was there in the audience too. And yeah, <laughs> but, but how we use stories. And I mean, I see this a lot in the class, the classes that I teach, you know, being able to talk to the students about, okay, yeah, I do have a degree in creative writing. My path was to go to financial planning. And then here as an advising advisor, but it's not a linear path for anybody. It's a rarity to have a linear path and understand what choices they can make. We can get into whole other career development theories. We can talk about plan happenstance, chaos theory of career. That might be a whole other podcast, but, um, but having those choices and seeing that they are in control of some of this, even with all these external forces that are outside of their control, that's where, yeah, being able to relate and talk with students that way. Um, and again, it's, you're not always going to have this as this form of like, you know, here's your handout of fill out all the stages of your hero's journey that you're on. You know, that can be a fun activity for some students um, just to help them frame that way. But it's more, again, for us to think about how we're working with our students and how we can spin and talk about their experience, their journey in a positive way and what they can overcome, what they can achieve. Um, and sometimes what they're going to find is you know, it's taking a step away from the institution is what they need to go and be successful and not seeing that as failure, but as one of their challenges, one of those journeys that they're taking to then come out at the end victorious. And and I remember, uh, I didn't get to see it live, but I got to watch it on the on demand. And, you know, yeah, you referencing it with, with Peter Hagen's book, and but you were also talking about like, you know, hey, we, we are all storytellers. And you, if you're looking at theories like appreciative advising and developmental advising actually tie into this type of approach. Um, but it was, yeah, but you're also mentioning like it's not some cookie cutter pattern, you know, and you really do have to be flexible and adaptable when, when you're when you're doing this. And I was going to ask you about Peter being there. Like, how was that? Did he know? Did you know ahead of time that he was going to show up? Um, I knew he was at the conference yeah. and I suspected he was going to show up. I was talking to some other people. They're like, oh, you know, Peter's going to be there. Um, and so I, I I saw him come in. Uh, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not ready. I'm not starting yet. I walked down. I talked to him. Um, I was joking. It's like, go easy on me. And, and Jenny Bloom was there, too. So like, uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness, <laughs> um, which I mean, I've known Jenny for a long time. Too. Yeah. So it, it's. It, it was fine and I, I didn't get like intimidated by it uh, and peter did come up afterwards and he was saying it's like you did a good job it was a good application and everything mm -hmm. um and we had some other people in the audience who were very engaged and talkative with it too so that that was a lot of fun yeah it, it's always more fun to give presentations in person or just to a live audience whether it's zoom or whatever having that engagement interaction definitely yeah. is fun yeah i definitely felt like i had to be on my a game for that and <laughs> i didn't feel like i was but it yeah, it was a good time. We had fun. Um, and, and if anyone's going to be in the audience about their theory, I think Peter is one of the best. Uh, just because, yeah, we're going to tell stories. We're going to share. We're going to, you know, look at the application of it. So, yeah, awesome. Fun time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'll have to have a part two because to talk more about this, um, to also talk about, uh, I wanted to also touch base with, um, you know, 
you being a mentor as well and kind of how that works at UH Manoa. And shout out to Shannon Mark, who I got to chat with for a little bit because I know he's uh, your mentee. So yeah, mm -hmm. we'll definitely, maybe we'll have both of you on uh, for a few Yeah, that would be a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll definitely try to pencil that in. But if listeners have any questions on anything that was gone over today, um, how can they reach out to you? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is via email, even though I will apologize. I usually prioritize student emails first over other people, but uh, my email is matt.ing, so M-A-T-T period E-N-G at hawaii.edu. So yeah, awesome. matt.ing at hawaii.edu. Yeah, and I don't think you need to apologize. I think everyone understands yeah. Yeah, that the students will come first with everything. But Matt, yeah. it's, it's been a pleasure and look forward to chatting with you again and you know seeing you in person again. And we'll definitely do a part two at some point uh, with this podcast. You take care. Thanks, you too. Thanks, Matt. I'm glad we finally were able to get you on the podcast. I think listeners will gain a lot of perspective from your role as tenure faculty and implementing elements of the hero's journey. Before we get to the next interview, if you haven't already, go check out our Adventures in Advising YouTube channel and more specifically our Dane's Desk series where Dane Zanowski from Temple University interviews advisors on a variety of topics from self-care to career advising to everything in between. These are short form videos where you can absorb a lot of information and tips in a short amount of time through the people Dane talks with. Next up, we have Leslie Ross from Georgia Tech back with us to guest host this interview with Brandon Loudon from Pikes Peak Community College. All right, next up is Brandon Loudon, and Brandon is an instructional liaison in the advising and testing department at Pikes Peak Community College in Colorado Springs, Colorado. From 2017 to 2020, he served as a coordinator of advising in the same department. Beginning in the fall 2021 term, he also began teaching geography at Pikes Peak as an adjunct instructor. Brandon has worked at Pikes Peak Community College since May 2013. Prior to moving to Colorado, he lived in Stillwater, Oklahoma for six out of seven years. Two of those years were spent as a graduate student in the geography department at Oklahoma State University, and the other four were spent teaching earth science at Northern Oklahoma College, a small community college satellite campus. The last three years at NOC, Brandon was also the academic advisor for the campus. <laughs> for that one year out of seven that he didn't live in Stillwater, Brandon attended grad school at Kansas State University and the college student personnel program. During that year, Brandon had his first advising job in the Division of Continuing Education, now Global Campus at Kansas State. This journey was actually been more convoluted than it sounds, and I didn't write that. Brandon did in his bio, and I'm sure he'll help uncomplicate that for us. Brandon likes analyzing sports and fans of various teams playing expensive board games that can't be purchased at Walmart, oscillating between Marvel and Star Wars geekdom, collecting counties, <laughs> running religiously, and dreaming about traveling. Brandon is married to April for the past 17 and a half years and has three teenage daughters and a sweet beagle named Hamilton. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Brandon, we're so excited to have you. And for the first question, I just have to ask what every the way we start with everyone. Tell us about your path into advising. Ooh, that's a great question. So I I, I went uh, after my uh, after my undergrad, which I went through several different majors. 
I think I changed my major uh, more than average. If the average is seven, um, it was like eight different times. And um, I did not know what I wanted to do after, after college. So I went to college, had a great time, uh, occasionally went to class, uh, still did okay. And I think, uh, so I, uh, I was like, I don't wanna leave college and I'm going to teach. So I went off to grad school to Oklahoma State and with the uh, idea of becoming a, a professor. I did my uh, I did my master's coursework in geography at Oklahoma State. I was a, a graduate teaching assistant there for a couple of years, um, and a couple of things happened. I was able to observe what professors do, uh, uh, tenure track professors, like from the point that they get hired um, through their their ten, uh, their pursuit of tenure. And I thought, if I'm going to be a professor, I'm going to have to go through this. And I didn't want to go through what what some of those uh, some of my professors were going through. The the assistant professors uh, they were working all hours of the night. Um, they were publishing, and I'm like, I don't want to publish anything. I just want to teach. I just want to be with the college students. So um, I finished my coursework in geography, and. I just wanted I just wanted to teach. So um, I did not finish my thesis, though. Uh, I was working on a thesis on college basketball, uh, men's college basketball, and where they go. And it was just like it was it was a big undertaking, and I didn't like it. So I got I got burned out, and I decided. You know what? I'm going to go back to uh, Kansas State, where I did my undergrad, uh, their college student personnel program, and I'm going to be an advisor. So we moved to moved to Manhattan from Stillwater. Uh, started that program. I was on campus for a year, and it was awesome. However, um, I wasn't making enough money, so I was like, I was a graduate assistant in uh, the Division of Continuing Education Advising Distance Students. Uh, that was my first job in advising because I realized I wanted to, like, I want to be an advisor. Um, I want to stay on campus, I want to work with college students, um, but, I, but I don't want to be one of those university professors because they just, they, they research and they publish and um, there's, you know, I don't want to do all that. I just want to work with the college students. I want to help them succeed um, in that way. So the problem was that Manhattan uh, just wasn't making enough money to, to pay the bills in Manhattan. Um, so I was able to pay the bills at Stillwater. I don't, I don't know, the cost of living differences or something going on there. So after a year, I realized I could go back to Stillwater um, and I think I was going to attempt to finish that thesis that I never did. Um, and at the same time, do the academic advising master's degree program through Kansas State. Because I had had those credit hours from that first year at K-State. Um, and 
going to work on that online academic advising master's degree. So, so what happened was that I was able to um, get a job at Northern Oklahoma College uh, teaching earth science with my background in geography, um, teaching physical geography at Oklahoma State. So I was able to do some teaching there for a year at Northern Oklahoma College. Didn't work on my thesis at all in geography, and I was able to do some of the some of the online classes for academic advising through Kansas State. Um, and this was also at the time that two of my daughters, twins, um, were, were born right around that time too. So we had like three, had a toddler, two babies. Uh, I was teaching like 12 credit hours. And then I was also uh, working on two master's programs. Uh, it was a blur, it was crazy. But um, after a year at Northern Oklahoma College, I told them, like, hey, I did a year of advising uh, at Kansas State. Can I advise here? And they were like, yeah, we'll keep you in mind. So after that first year of teaching, it was it was May. Um, they, I guess they were still keeping me in mind, but the semester was ending. Um, I didn't really have a job at all, so I started working at a uh, at a fast food place for a week, um, working the morning shift, um, cooking uh, hash browns, and it was really fun. Not really fun. Um, and then I got a call from uh, from our office, from the the office manager there at Northern College, like, "Hey, Brandon, do you still want to advise?" I'm like. Well, yeah, like cool, because the advisor just uh, he, he he doesn't want to do it anymore, and we need somebody to come in and do that. Okay, so you can start on Monday, she says. Okay, so I go in on Monday, and Jared is there. His name was Jared. Um, his name is actually still Jared. I just don't have any contact with him anymore. Uh, <laughs> but he was what he was a. He was one of our biology instructors and he did the advising on the side and they paid me $10 an hour to do the academic advising there. And it was great experience. Um, and it, you know, but I wasn't doing it for the money, obviously. My training there was, uh, I sat down with Jared and he's like, here's your catalog and here's our registration form. So what you're going to do is call the student up and you need to get them into a math class, an English class, probably psychology would be a good option and like a political science or a history class. And you just fill, and this is how you fill out the form. And then you pass it over here. Like, okay. Like, so he did that. He, he called one student up, and up to the counter and that's a, uh, showed me how to do that I'm like cool like you want to do the next one he says like yeah sure so called the next student um talk to them about classes and gave them their, their their math their english history and psychology pass the form over he's like that was great that was you did good well i think that's it um so if you need anything uh, let me know but i'm out of here and he just left like wow 
hey, so now I'm an academic advisor at Northern Oklahoma College. And that's what I did for, excuse me, for about, uh, for the next three years. I, I taught classes um, after class, I'd come into the office and I would help with registration. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was an experience, but that's how I got into advising. I finished, so just kind of to wrap things up there, I finished my academic advising master's degree um, and never finished my geography master's degree, but I have the credit hours, so I'm teaching geography um, on the side now. And, um, and my children all survived, they're all teenagers now. So yeah. Um, made it yeah everyone made it <laughs> that, that is wild so far about. so far we, we we've survived yeah that is wild about uh your training that you that you got <laughs> or you know quote unquote training <laughs> yeah. but you, you made it through and you figured things out and that's what's most important and yeah. your students uh, benefit from that and then now you're at uh, pikes peak community college yes. so for those who want some more information, how would you describe Pikes Peak Community College to them? And what does your role entail at yeah. your institution? So uh, how would I describe Pikes Peak Community College? It is, uh, so we are an urban, uh, urban community college in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, there are, we have uh, three campuses. There's one on the south side of the city one on the north side of the city and one downtown um, we colorado springs uh, is a is, is a military city um, so we have um, we have several air force installations including the united states air force academy um, norad is here so um, we also have an army base and we have campuses not campuses, but we have satellite locations where we teach on um, on one of the Air Force bases, one of the and, and the Army base here too. So uh, we have a have a fairly large footprint here in the city. Um, our enrollment is about thirteen thousand. Uh, I believe we are the largest uh, by enrollment, the largest institution of higher education between um, south of Denver all the way down to Albuquerque. Um, so in all of Southern Colorado, we're the, the largest institute of higher education. Um, we uh, are, we have a very strong transfer um, pipeline between us and the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Um, it's, I don't, I don't know the data exactly, but it's one of the, um, biggest pipelines in the country, I've, I've been told, let's say top 10. So uh, uh, over 500 students of ours go transfer to UCCS each uh, each year. So um, very significant there. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, what was the rest of the question? Yeah. And then how about your role? Your role at your My senior, role there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah. My title is instructional liaison. So we have, so our advising department here, uh, we have a lot of advisors. I don't know how many. 
Um, something like 25, 30 advisors total. And our instructional uh, instructional services at the school is broken into five different divisions. Uh, so there's the there's uh, communication, hospitality, and technical studies, which is uh, communication. Um, I, I said that wrong. Communication, humanities, and technical studies, which is uh, our, our communication programs, fine arts, and then a lot of our career and technical education falls under that dean. Um, there's a business, public service, and social science, which is our business, and most of our social uh, social science uh, programs, transfer programs that go there. Then we have uh, natural physical sciences, which is for our non-medical STEM uh, students. And then there's a medical sciences division for medical science students. Um, and, then, uh, and then math and English is another division. And that is, uh, which is interesting, math and English, they don't really go together, but they were coupled because there's a significant developmental education uh, piece to the to community college open access uh, institution there. So my role as an instructional liaison is to work with the dean and associate dean and the faculty of the natural and physical sciences division. So I get to um, talk about Enrollment trends. Uh, I, I'll help the faculty brainstorm ways that we can uh, drive enrollment into certain programs. Or, um, you know, one of the things that I worked on today was uh, that our anatomy and physiology at one of our campuses is already full and we haven't hit January yet. So, uh, just talk about what are we going to be able to open a new section there? So, yeah, th that's kind of what I do. Um, and on top of that, I have a, a small caseload of students. And by small, I think it's like 500 students that are assigned to me. Uh, we don't have, uh, there's no mandatory advising here uh, because there's just, uh, it, we just don't have quite the resources that we need to do mandatory advising, um, but we are always available to students by email um, uh, or by appointment. Honestly, the students that we see are going usually in their first, first year, um, actually first semester, brand new students coming in for their first semester. And we try to, in that very first appointment, uh, get them registered for their first semester classes. Um, and then we'll probably see most of those students during their first semester in which we'll work with them to kind of plan out their next three semesters uh, or however any they need to 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 do to finish their degree or uh, or whatever their goal is um and at that point most of the students are pretty set um we we try to do a lot to educate students on how to navigate all of our uh, all of our uh, computing resources, uh, all of our technical um, uh, uh, 
student information system and the registration system and all of that. So uh, after that first semester, we don't see many of the students. They, they'll usually email or they have a quick question. Um, we're there to support them. Um, we also rely a lot on our faculty to do a lot of uh, that advising, preparing them for transfer or for career and technical programs. We will refer them to their faculty uh, to get them enrolled in classes and also help them find what job is out there in the community. Uh, you know, because, gosh, I don't know the first thing about like um, how to get a job as an auto mechanic um, other than going to the going to the shop and by filling an application, but our career technical education uh, faculty, you know, they were out there doing the job at one time. Some of them are still out there doing doing those jobs, and they have they're the ones with the connections, and, uh, know the lingo, and stuff. So, so we get really excited about referring students to faculty in those situations. So, Brandon. I want to ask you about your experience with the Emerging Leaders Program. Yes. Tell me more. So, uh, Emerging Leaders, yeah. I I love the Emerging Leaders Program. Um, mentorship is, is, is huge. So, uh, I really enjoy, I, I enjoy mentoring before you really dive full dive into emerging leaders. Like one of the things that I, one of the things I love about my job here at this college is that we have a, a, a strong student affairs and higher education program at, at uh, the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, UCCS. And most of those students um, in the SAHI program there are looking for jobs. And so we will hire in our department uh, part-time advisors um, that are grad students over there. My favorite thing about about this is that um, is when I can meet with these grad students and really start to mold to mentor them uh, early on in their career. So the Emerging Leaders Program is a is just another opportunity for mentorship within Nakata. Uh, I started in Emerging Leaders um, in 2015, so I was uh, that was my Emerging Leader class 2015-2017. Erin uh, Justina was my mentor. She is the best mentor that there ever was, and I know that everybody else says that their mentor was the best. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have to admit. <laughs> Pretty much every mentor is the best mentor. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, I'm. But Aaron is pretty awesome. Oh yeah, she is. Oh my goodness, I, yes. Yeah, Aaron is awesome. Um, I think that uh, what I would take from that is the just the work that uh, Lee Cunningham and uh, the, the other members of the Emerging Leaders advisory board, the, the work that they do to pair up mentors with emerging leaders is just phenomenal. 
I just, I remember like being a, being that emerging leader and the feeling of going through the orientation um, at, at annual conference. And then there's a time where you get to meet with each of the potential mentors. So there's 10 mentors and 10 emerging leaders. And we do, we have like two to three minutes with, um, for each, each emerging leader gets that much time with each potential mentor. Um, on top of all of the the summer meetings that, that we would have beforehand, so we we all get to know each other, and then there's all this speculation about who would be who's going to be paired up with who, who's going to be the best fit, and um, and I just remember like when uh, when the the pairings are finally announced, it's like oh well I didn't think about that. That is that's a phenomenal pairing, huh? Yeah, that's that's so great. So, uh, so I've been a I've been a mentor twice, and I was an emerging leader. And I just know that back in 2019, um, everyone was a little bit stressed about who's going to get who's going to get hired up. I'm like, don't even worry about it because whatever we think is going to happen, uh, just the trust the process. So, would you um, like to give a shout out to your mentees? Uh, yeah. So Shannon Pendergrast, um, she is a, uh, she works at the University of Tennessee. Um, she is awesome. She just was recognized um, at the Global Awards Ceremony. She was a, um, she was a recipient of a Certificate of Merit for Outstanding Advising. Um, yeah, and I had the opportunity to reconnect with her and. Cincinnati a couple of months ago had had just the most loveliest breakfast. Um, actually, it wasn't breakfast; it was lunch. It was an early lunch. I say breakfast because it was like it was like nine o'clock Mountain Time where I am, um, but I was in the Eastern Time Zone. Shana is doing good good work there in Tennessee, and then Jessica Camp is my most recent emerging leader. Uh, and she works at Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas. Um, and man, it was rough um, going through this whole mentorship thing during the COVID era. It was, um, and I think um, that part was rough. Uh, but having Jessica there just to talk to, there were times where I don't know who's the mentee and who the uh, like who the emerging leader and who the mentor is here because there were days where it's like Jessica, I just I can't I can't make it today. Like this this just sucks. And she was just like, Yeah, I know. And it was just a lot of commiserating some of some days. There's a few people that I will look back on years from now, like, how did I get through COVID? And top of the list is going to be Jessica. Um, so yeah, we didn't really, um, gosh, the, the things that we set out to, to do, uh, a lot of the goals that we set was just, we didn't get accomplished, but I told her about halfway through the, 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 um, 
the program like, you know what, maybe our goal just needs to be survive. Let's just get through this. And we did. So that was awesome. Yeah, but yeah. We, we never knew what was going to happen. We can plan <sighs> out these goals and then we got to yeah. redo them and exactly. just, just push through. But, you know, it, it's nice you're talking about the Emerging Leaders Program because definitely there's a lot of benefits to it. You saw it as both an emerging leader, also as a mentor, a couple times as a mentor. And you mentioned yeah. in there about Shana and, and being at that Global Awards ceremony. And speaking yeah. of that, uh, Leslie and I both got to work with you, uh, both of us being part <laughs> of the Global Awards uh, Committee under you as the Ooh. chair. And that, too, was something where you had grand plans and <laughs> it kind of messed things up. But in Cincinnati, you actually got to finally MC the awards ceremony. How was that for you to actually finally, like, on your basically last day as the global awards chair, to be able to do that? Yeah, uh, one of those grand plans that I had, like, I I timed this, I timed it just so that I knew that the the San Juan conference was coming up. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I, and I got to go back to like 2015 with, um, you know, in, as a emerging leader, being mentored by Aaron Justina, we had put together a plan. A, uh, you know, I have some long-term goals, and one of those goals was to be the awards global awards committee chair. And at one point, I thought, you know what, I. Uh, there's a San Juan conference coming up in several years from now. I can time this just right, be the chair, and then I can do, I can be the, the MC of the, of the Global Awards ceremony in San Juan. That will be so cool. And then COVID, when, um, when it came time to, a month before, a month before the 2020 conference, and we'd already known that, um, it was going to be a virtual conference. Charlie, Charlie Nutt asks me to do a, a virtual award ceremony. He gave us a month to, to put that together. And one of the, um, it was so bittersweet. So yeah, when we get to Cincinnati, so wonderful to be up there. Um, I get really emotional when I'm up on stage and I look out and, and, and I see um, all of these people. Like I've I've been reading documents. They're uh, they're they're um, they're nominating documents that their colleagues have submitted. Um, you know, I can't recite any of the of the the data or anything specific to any of them because it all becomes a big blur. But like I just know, like I, I'm looking out here, and these are. Um, all phenomenal, outstanding advisors, and they're all making a difference on their campuses to the students that they meet with. Um, a lot of them are doing doing work that positively impacts the profession um, through research or publishing or um, or whatever. So, like, I just look out there and I'm like, gosh, I hope that I just don't start crying up here because I'm just overcome with emotion. Um, that's the the feeling that I that I had. That's what I wanted to do. I, um, you know, I've been I've been at this, uh, you know, helping students, serving students, um, you know, for 
a dozen years now. Um, and there are days where it gets, it, it just, it becomes a job. Um, uh, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm burned out. I do get tired sometimes, but then I, 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 I get, have these moments where like I can see the positive impact that, that I had on a student's um, experience. Okay. Yeah. That's what, and that, and that re-energizes me. Brandon, um, you have actually done some other things within Nakata. You published an article in AAT, the academic advising today. Tell us about uh, that. That was, I gotta tell you, um, the AAT is amazing. So um, what I love about the academic advising today is that it is it's really for, uh, for practitioners, like those of us that are working with students every day. Uh, it's, written, it's written by practitioners um, and it's pretty short form. So uh, something that you can do uh, drinking your coffee as you get settled in to your office in the morning. Uh, take in an article and uh, do some professional development. Uh, and it, they're usually uh, really informative. So I do love the AAT. Uh, my experience writing that article, it was a, so there was several of us that co-authored the article that you speak of. Um, they were part of the 2015, 2017 ELP um, class there. So, uh, yeah, you know, my part of it, you know, it was just like, it was just a paragraph or two, you know, sent it off and it got compiled and then um, they go through their, their editing process uh, through the editorial uh, folks. So they send it back for corrections um, and really just minor corrections. And then that was it. So. I think um, I'd highly recommend uh, if you have something that you're doing on your campus um, that is helping students, um, uh, don't worry about like, well, I'm sure everybody else, this is the problem that I always have. I'm just kind of speaking to myself. But don't worry if like you think everybody else is probably doing the same thing. Um, what you have, what you're doing can be inspirational to somebody else. Uh, and even if, even if uh, most other campuses are doing what you're talking about, um, there's somebody out there that, that needs to hear what you have to say. And um, so I would say it's an easy way to get your name out there, um, to, do, to do good for the profession. But also, uh, if you can get somebody to co-author with you, um, or even a couple of people, it is so easy uh, to, to tag team that thing uh, and, and knock it out. So, yeah. Yeah, teamwork makes the dream work. So don't make it hard on yourself. And yeah, no so, doubt. and I think to kind of circle back to, let's say, you know, because we we're talking about what you do at Pikes Peak and how you would describe Pikes Peak Community College. And you were talking about how it's this um, kind of pipeline and, and, and Pikes yeah. Peak is very successful with getting students to transfer. And with the few minutes that we have remaining, um, 
and this would just be generally speaking, but what do you feel is is what makes Pikes Peak successful in kind of having that pipeline for transfer students? What makes us successful? Um, one of the advantages that we have is that you know, Colorado Springs is a it's a there's about a half million people that live that live here in the surrounding area. Um, but I gotta tell you, it's gotta be like the the this a small town feeling and the students that come to Pikes Peak, uh, we uh, they're most most of them are local. We don't have a lot of people coming in. We're a commuter campus. Um, and the the quality of the programs that we have um, coupled with the 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 high quality programs at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. It is, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a good value for, uh, for our students to be able to um, stay local. Um, a lot of our students can be at home. Um, so they, uh, they save, save some money by, uh, on housing, by being able to, to stay in school, be at home. You know, another thing that I think that we have an advantage, and this is a statewide, is that for um, our Department of Higher Education in Colorado, um, we have statewide transfer articulation agreements. So um, students can, you know, they know they want to do their bachelor's degree in a, in a discipline, um, say like geography, that's my favorite discipline. There's a there's a statewide articulated agreement between the community college system and the public universities in the state. So, if students want to go somewhere else outside of outside of the city, they can. But having those uh, agreements in place um, really helps the students know that when they finish here then they're going to have all of their credits transferred to UCCS and um, not have to worry about uh, having the, uh, you know, losing credits and transfer, which I think is an issue in some places. And I know that other states have similar things happening there, but, uh, but I, I think that that's a, a big part. So we have good relationships with uh, locally and uh, our higher education department here in the state is just they they work really hard to, uh, for students in establishing policy for transfer so that's great well um i wanted to ask one last question and okay. i wanted to know a little bit about the colorado and the wyoming uh academic advisors network oh gee this is a uh, man. So we call it Cali, Cali Akata. Um, Cali Akata is it, it comes it comes and goes. <laughs> so long time ago, um, and I'm, I don't know before before I arrived to Colorado, uh, there was a Cali Akata that was established, um, and as a as a way to when the Region 10 conference was outside of the states of Colorado and Wyoming, um, there would be a, a drive-in conference somewhere, usually in the Denver area, 
or centrally located. Um, and that's really what that was that's what that was about. Then it kind of, um, we had a, a time where uh, there was a regional conference in Wyoming, then one following year in Colorado. And so, you know, Cali kind of, it faded away for a time. Brandy Swanson uh, tried to resurrect it, I successfully resurrected it um, a few years back. And she was uh, our chair was the, the vice chair of this association. Um, and we had a we had two fantastic uh, drive-in conferences. We had one year we did it in Fort Collins. Uh, the next year we did it in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, and it was a great opportunity to connect with advisors from all over Colorado. And there's a few advisors in Wyoming. Um, a lot, the states, uh, the the demographics of both states are very different. Uh, Wyoming is very sparsely populated, so not not many advisors uh, in higher education um, institutions in Wyoming. But we did have a good showing of Wyoming advisors uh, that came down. But then COVID happened, and honestly, uh, we haven't done anything with Cowie in the last couple of years. And, but you know it it it's successful um, when we get it going, but it's it's difficult. And I would say um, I don't know why. That is it's a good question. Well, hopefully it'll come back again, especially because yeah, yeah it, it's very beneficial having these conferences, whether yes. it's through Nakata, through its the state uh, institution, or uh, multiple states yeah. uh, having having their conferences. So we'll cross fingers crossed for for a successful comeback with that. But Brandon, this has been great getting to chat with you about yeah. ELP, your Thanks. time in Nakata, being the Global Awards Chair, um, your path into advising, which I found fascinating. So, and it was great getting to catch up with you at the yeah. Cincinnati conference, you know, getting to grab coffee with you. And Leslie, the joke was that, because um, we were both in the Emerging Leaders program from 2017, 2019 for that cohort. And I told Brandon uh, when we had coffee at Cincinnati, I was like, this is the most we've actually spoken <laughs> throughout the whole time we were in, in our cohort. Uh, so it was great actually getting to get to know Brandon more and catch up with him. But Brandon, if anyone has any questions for you, wants to connect with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, I think uh, email is the best. Um, and you can just email me at brandon.loudon at ppcc.edu. All right. Sounds good. Brandon, awesome. thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Have a great one. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon, for talking with us about Pikes Peak, transfer students, and your involvement in Nakata. Also, thank you to Leslie Ross for being on again as a guest host. And just like that, episode 49 is in the books. If you're listening to this in December, we have just completed another year. Here's to the end of one year or closing of one chapter and to a new year and starting the next chapter. Can't wait for 2022 as our next episode is number 50. Check out our YouTube channel at Adventures in Advising. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast. Take care. Happy holidays and see you in 2022. As always. Keep advising.